Welcome to our Meditation Service podcast. Each week we will have a different presentation, including different sutra chanting, different speakers, and different Dharma messages. Through this Meditation Service program, we will have both seated and standing meditation, sutra chanting, and a Dharma message. We hope that this Meditation Service podcast will enable the listener to experience meditation, to experience sutra chanting, and to listen to a Dharma message. In our Shin Buddhist tradition, we regard meditation as not a practice or as a means to try to attain enlightenment, but we are simply sitting to calm ourselves so that we might better receive the Dharma, hear the Dharma. Our everyday life is so hectic and fast-paced and busy, we need a little bit of quiet time, tranquility. We find it hard to focus on listening to a message, and so by sitting first, we're able to settle ourselves, calm ourselves, and open our hearts and minds to receive the teachings. Once we learn how to receive the teachings in a meditation service, we find that we're able to receive the teachings even in our everyday life. We encounter teachers anywhere. It could be a driver. It could be a bartender. It could be your pet cat or dog that gives you a teaching relevant to your life. Thank you. Please be seated, and we will prepare for seated meditation. Whether you're in a chair or on the floor, you want to sit with your back very straight, shoulders relaxed, eyes half open, half closed, gazing at a spot two or three feet in front of you on the floor at about a 45 degree angle, hands placed in your lap. Try to find a position uh, that we can hold without fidgeting. This is a prescribed, suggested posture, uh, but feel free to modify it as you see fit. Meditation is not supposed to be agony. So the suggested posture is to sit with a very straight back, whether you're sitting on the floor or in a chair, you want your back very straight. You don't want to have any weight leaning forwards or back, it can cause stress, or left to right. We suggest you kind of rock forwards and backwards until you find that spot front to back that's balanced, and then you could rock left to right until you feel balanced in the middle. And then you want to have your eyes half open and half closed gently gazing at a spot in front of you on the floor at about a 45 degree angle. We suggest this because if you have your eyes completely closed, it's easy to become drowsy and sleepy. And if your eyes are completely open, it's easy to be distracted by motion or light in the room. And then breathing, it's suggested that you breathe in through your nose by forming a vacuum with your tongue and the roof of your mouth, leaving your jaw relaxed and open about a half an inch, and then breathe through your nose down into your diaphragm, down into your stomach. The other thing you can do, there's a couple positions for your hands. You could take your left hand and place it in the palm of your right hand, touch the tips of your thumbs together, and then hold that in front of your lower abdomen with your elbows out. Another posture is to take the tips of your finger and thumb and touch them together on each hand, and then pointing the remaining three fingers away from you, placing the back of your hands onto the top of your thighs. And be aware of your thoughts don't judge them and just watch them come and go. It takes time, but it works.
and we will begin with gasho. In Buddhism, gasho is a form of bowing. Uh, it's much like uh, namaste in yoga. And gasho literally means to put one's palms together. So what we do is we place our left and right hand together with our palms, and then we uh, hold our thumbs and our hands against our chest or sternum, and then we have our hands held at about a 45-degree angle. And then we slowly bow forwards another 45 degrees until our hands are parallel with the ground, and then we come up. And this is called gasho. It's a Buddhist bowing, a posture of humility and respect and refuge. And after we gasho, we say namo amidabuts, namo amidabuts, namo amidabuts. And that is the sound of enlightenment, much like namaste. And we say it to each other. And we're saying it as we receive the teachings and as we are with the Buddha in this meditation service. Place your hands together and we will bow in gasho. And then at the sound of the bell, we'll begin. And then we will end with the bell.
Please join me in God's show. Namon doubts, namon doubts, namon doubts, namon doubts, namon doubts. Take a moment to stretch your legs, and we will have standing meditation. The feet should be about shoulder width apart, with the knees bent slightly. Upper body position is the same. Back straight and centered, shoulders relaxed, eyes half open. Standing in this way is a reminder that we can extend this way of being to our life when we're not engaged in meditation per se. We might be having to wait for someone to arrive or wishing some person would help us. They don't seem to be interested in our problem. Instead of becoming upset and agitated, we can have a moment of standing meditation.
Please put your hands together in Gasho. Bow. Namo Amidabutsu. Namo Amidabutsu. Namo Amidabutsu. Naman Dabutsu. Naman Dabutsu. Naman Dabutsu. Return to your seat or cushion. We will begin sutra chanting. Sutra chanting is actually a portion of a sutra that we will chant. Most sutras are far too long to be able to chant in one sitting. So for us, we're usually chanting a verse out of a longer narrative or prose. And that's why each line consists of perhaps four or five or seven characters. When we chant, we read from left to right, just like in English. And we move down the first column. And then we move to the second column and so on. Open circles represent bells for the chant leader to ring. So we always begin a sutra chant with two bells. Whenever we change a section, we use one bell to kind of signal that we're changing from one section to another. And then when you end a sutra chant, you always end with three bells. Each syllable here is written in Romanized characters, English characters. And each syllable here represents a kanji, a Chinese character. And it's written phonetically. It's the sound of the character. The vowels have the same pronunciation independent of location or their neighbor. So this is different from English. And the vowel sounds, uh, I've been told, resemble those in Spanish. So we have A, E, I, O, and U. And they're pronounced A, E, E, O, and U. And then you'll see italicized lines. Those are leader lines that I chant alone. And you will also see underlines under some of the characters. And that means that rather than each character getting a single beat, an underlined character will get a beat and a half. And to kind of make up that little extra time, the next character in line will only get a half beat. And what you do is you don't really concern yourself too much about the meaning of what's being chanted. This isn't flashcards. We're not trying to learn something. This is a ritual. And so we chant together as a feeling of oneness. Don't worry too much about how you're doing. Be aware and mindful of each character. Uh, this is a form of meditation uh, rather than silent meditation. We're meditating through sound. So, you know, you see the character, you say it, you forget about it, you move on and you say the next character. And over time, it becomes effortless and you'll begin to memorize it without realizing it. If you turn to page 56, we will chant today the Amida Sutra. This is a little different. Now you're actually seeing unequal length lines. And this because this is a narrative verse. A lot of times when we say we're doing sutra chanting, we're really doing a small section, a small verse, like the Jusege or the Sambutsuge or the uh, Shiju Hachigan. But here, this is literally the entire Amida Sutra. It's not very long, and so you could chant it in 15, 20 minutes, depending on how fast you go. And it also begins with Nyoze Gamon. Thus I have heard Ananda saying, I have heard the Buddha speak this. All Buddha sutras begin with Nyoze Gamon. And again, you see the Busetsu Amirakyo. The Buddha will now expound the Amida Sutra. And we chant left to right down these columns. And what we usually do for this podcast is we'll end at the top of 58 with the three bells and the two lines underlined. So we're slowing down coming into the station with three bells. And then we take a jump over to the bottom of page 61, and we do Namo Amida Boots, and we close with the Ekoku. And the Amida Sutra is kind of a condensed version of the larger sutra. 
So the three main sutras in the Pure Land tradition is the Larger Sutra, the Visualization Sutra, and the Amida Sutra, or Smaller Sutra. Usetsu Amida Kyo Shari Hosu Gokura Kokuro Jojunyoze 
please join me in Gasho. Namandats, 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 Namandats. We know it is important to be grateful. Gratitude is emphasized in all religious traditions and is a cornerstone of Buddhism. Today, I want to talk about three aspects of gratitude. One, the benefits of being grateful. Two, how to develop gratitude in our children. And three, the Shin Buddhist perspective on gratitude. Last year, my husband Tom, who is always finding interesting things for me to read, pointed out a Wall Street Journal article entitled, How to Raise More Grateful Children by freelance writer Jennifer Breheny Wallace. It discussed the benefits of being grateful and how to instill a sense of gratitude in children. So there are benefits to being grateful. Obviously, gratitude is an attribute we all value. Did you know November is National Gratitude Month? Which makes sense because it's our month for Thanksgiving. We value gratitude so much it is a national holiday and one of our most important. From the Wall Street Journal article, I learned about the growing body of research that points to many psychological and social benefits to an attitude of gratitude. People with a grateful disposition are more thankful for a wider variety of things in their lives, such as friends, their health, nature, their jobs, their spiritual tradition and they experience their feelings of gratitude more intensely. Research tells us that gratitude is a mindset, a way of seeing the world. Dr. David Rosemarin, an assistant professor at Harvard Medical School, says that gratitude is also a spiritual emotion, whether it's implicitly or explicitly expressed. In a study published in 2011, Dr. Rosemarin found that general gratitude was associated with less anxiety, less depression, and greater well-being. Those with religious gratitude had an additional boost in all three areas. From these studies, we see that a sense of gratitude has significant benefits to our overall well-being. We would all agree that having a sense of gratitude for the things in our lives is an important trait we want our children to have. Unfortunately, some of the data indicates that we, and our children, are less grateful than in years past. What are the current perceptions and findings about children and adolescents? We have all heard the complaints about millennials and their attitudes of entitlement. Some of it is attributable to the selfie culture, which often rewards bragging and arrogance. Think about social media and some of the celebrity stars and athletes that young people find appealing. Dr. Richard Westbourne of Harvard's Graduate School of Education says that sadly, some of the responsibility rests with us parents who bought into the self-esteem movement. As parents, we believe the myth that if children feel better about themselves by praising them, catering to their every need, and making them, quote, happy, it will help them develop character. In this scenario, everyone was someone special. It created in them a sense of entitlement. And Dr. Westbourne says that when children are raised to feel entitled to everything, they are left feeling grateful for nothing. Don't lose hope, however. The good news is that it's not too late and gratitude can be cultivated at any age. 
Gratitude initiates what researchers call an upward spiral of positive emotions. Adolescents who rank higher in gratitude tend to be happier and more engaged at school and give and receive more social support from family and friends. They tend to experience fewer depressive symptoms and less anxiety and are less likely to exhibit antisocial behavior such as aggression. Research indicates that the experience of high levels of gratitude in the adolescent years can set a child up to thrive. Students who are more grateful were better at managing their lives and identifying important goals for their future. When students regularly express gratitude, it's a good litmus test that they are thriving. Grateful adolescents enjoy stronger relationships with peers, in part because their positive disposition makes them more attractive and likable. Grateful students were perceived by their peers as having a warmer personality and being more friendly and thoughtful. So the question becomes, how do we instill gratitude in our children so that it becomes a natural part of who they are? This question reminds me of the familiar story of the man who was lost in New York City and stopped a woman rushing by him carrying a violin case. He asked her, how do I get to Carnegie Hall? Her answer, practice, practice, practice. And in the case of gratitude, that is the answer. We practice, practice, practice. We become grateful by practicing gratitude and modeling it for our children is one of the best ways possible. We remind them of the ways they are fortunate. I love the quote from Winnie the Pooh in which there's a picture of Piglet and Winnie sitting on a log. And the caption is, Piglet noticed that even though he had a very small heart, it could hold a rather large amount of gratitude. We hope for our children to come to the same conclusion. We've just looked at gratitude from the perspective of its benefits to us and to our lives from a practical point of view. It can help our anxiety and depression, help us make friends and moderate our emotions. It will help our children thrive and grow positively. Reverend Harada has a BEC class, a Buddhist Education Center class entitled From Practical Buddhism to True Buddhism, and it is a featured course on our Everyday Buddhist website. I would put what I've just talked about so far in the category of practical Buddhism or practical life benefits from a gratitude practice. How do we move gratitude to what Reverend Harada calls the truth level and how does that tie in with Buddhism? By truth level, we are talking about how Buddhism and a sense of gratitude can affect us to the very core of our being. Let's begin with this quote from someone named Meister Eckhart. He wrote, If the only prayer you said was thank you, that would be enough. Meister Eckhart was a German theologian, philosopher, and mystic from the 14th century. He was a member of the Dominican Order of Priests, and since the 19th century, he has received renewed attention as a great mystic with contemporary popular spirituality. Meister Eckhart was, of course, Christian, and so in that context, prayer is used. But he is speaking about a gratitude that comes from deep within, in this case, for God. It places the grateful heart at the core of a truly religious Christian person. 
This quote sounds to me very much like something I once heard from Reverend Tetsuo Uno, one of Buddhist Churches of America's most eminent teachers and one of my important teachers. He has memorably said on more than one occasion, on the Shin Buddhist path, gratitude is almost enough. What does he mean and what is the difference? I'm interpreting his words, of course, but I believe that what Reverend Uno means is that in a religious context, a sense of gratitude will take you very far along the spiritual path. And for that reason, it is cultivated and emphasized in Buddhism, as it is in other religions. However, it is also true that a grateful heart is not the aim of the Shin Buddhist path. As I have often told many people for the very same reason, becoming a good person is also not the aim of Buddhism. Both gratitude and goodness are the byproducts of a deep Buddhist spiritual awakening. We seek not goodness or gratitude for its own sake, but we must first come to terms with freedom from our ignorance. Buddha means the awakened one. It is a descriptor for someone awakened from delusion and able to see reality as it is. In this context, the truth shall indeed make you free. As Buddhists, we emphasize coming to terms with the truths of impermanence and the interconnection of existence. We become one with reality as it is, flowing with the changing and creative forces of life and cognizant that I can only exist as a part of the whole. On the Shin Buddhist path, we discover two truths about ourselves in the experience called Shinjin awakening. As I come to see my flawed and egotistical nature, there is a deep recognition of how truly hopeless my aspiration for Buddhahood is. And yet, there is the absolute promise of awakening that comes from the power beyond the self that makes that impossibility possible. The power beyond the self is another name for Amida. We could also call it reality, truth, existence, life. It is everything that supports, maintains, protects, and loves us with boundless compassion. As Shin Buddhists, we do not identify Amida as a god that directs these things to happen, but anyone who becomes mindful of this power beyond us can appreciate it. It is from this recognition that our gratitude and our desire to live an authentic life arises. It can be a truly mind-blowing realization. In a nutshell, Xinjin goes something like this. I understand who and what I am, and because of that, I don't deserve any of what I'm given. And yet... I receive everything I need. When we incorporate that reality into our lives, we are forced into a position of deep gratitude that can almost take our breath away. And that gratitude turns everything we have into enough. This is the end of my talk, so what else is there left to say but thank you? Which is another way of saying... Namo Amidabutsu. Please join me in Gashou. 
The person who attains Shinjin and joy, it is taught, is equal to the Tathagatas. Namo Amidabuts, Namo Amidabuts, Namo Amidabuts, Namo Amidabuts. Please put your hands together in Gasho and bow. Namo Amidabuts, Namo Amidabuts, Namo Amidabuts, Namo Amidabuts, Namo Amidabuts. This concludes this podcast. I hope you feel grounded. I hope you feel different than when you began. And this feeling you have, I hope you take it with you out into your everyday life. It's important to develop these qualities in a controlled environment like this podcast. But the aim is for the effects to begin to bleed out into your everyday life naturally. My wife once sent me a meme on Facebook that said, yoga works, but only if you show up. And I feel that way about Buddhism and about meditation. It surely works, but only if you stick with it. And you have to get to the point where it becomes something natural and effortless in your life. And if you have high expectations and you're trying to rush the process, you actually retard your ability to change over time. You don't want to grasp it. You don't want to hang on to it. You just want to experience it in a regular practice and integrate it into your everyday life. So thank you very much for coming. I will close with Gasho. Hands together and we will bow. Everybody wants to become happy, but how do we find it? I know how. Go to everydaybuddhist.org and enroll in the free trailer preview course entitled Become Happy the Prequel. And if you like this, then you'll be ready for the soon-to-be-released full video course called Become Happy, the sequel. I hope to see you at both. This program was presented by Reverend Marvin Harada, Reverend John Turner, Reverend Ellen Crane, and Minister's Assistant James Pollard, Executive Producers Reverend Marvin Harada and Jim Scott. Produced by the Buddhist Education Center of Orange County Buddhist Church. Anaheim, California, USA. Directed and engineered by Reverend John Turner. Edited by Jim Scott. This program includes excerpts from Time Stood Still by Riley Lee, used with permission. Copyright 2019, Orange County Buddhist Church, Anaheim, California, USA. All rights reserved. We hope you'll join us for future podcasts, or please check out our Buddhist online program at everydaybuddhist.org. Our website is ocbuddhist.org. There are Dharma messages that you can read on the website, and the online program has a number of Buddhist education courses from introductory level to the study of Buddhist texts. If you've never attended one of our meditation services, we are located at 909 Southdale Avenue in Anaheim. Thank you for joining us today.